Third John in its entirety. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and also stops those who want to, and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Thank you, Ashley. Well, I'm going to do something today that I've never done before. In fact, I think we actually just did something that I'm not sure that we've ever done before. Ashley just read for you an entire book of the Bible. And I'm about to preach through an entire book of the Bible in one Sunday morning worship gathering. So get comfortable. Now, granted, it is the shortest book in the New Testament. Um, again, it only clocks in at 15 verses and write about 300 words in the English translation. But it still counts. Again, so a whole book of the Bible this morning. Now, I was going to say, sit back and get comfortable with that, but maybe we should be a little bit uncomfortable as we study Third John. Because Third John is like reading somebody else's mail. It's like we intercepted someone's message, a message to a man named Gaius, and we're reading his mail or we're reading over his shoulder. Because Third John is not just a letter, it's a personal letter. It's a letter that was sent by the Apostle John, who identifies himself as the elder, to a man named Gaius. And interestingly, there are many men in the New Testament we find with the name of Gaius. And we're not sure exactly which one of the Gaiuses to whom it is that he writes. However, what it does appear from this letter is that Gaius, whoever he was, was a prominent member of the church. Uh, probably a leader in the church. And he was somebody who was in a position where he was able to welcome and to support missionaries and Christian workers as they came through on their way to bring the gospel to new lands and to new people. And that's exactly what this letter is about. That is the theme of this letter. John is writing to this man, Gaius, and he's writing to praise and to promote Gaius' commitment to partnering. His commitment to partnering with Christian workers and missionaries. And Chestnut Street Baptist, this is important for us today because you and I are called to this exact 
same commitment. A commitment to partner. A commitment to partnering in finance, prayer, and cooperation with missionaries around the world and gospel-centered churches here locally. You know, the last few Sunday mornings you've heard that we're discussing some revisions and clarifications to our church covenant that the elders will be proposing at our December business meeting. And one of the commitments, church, that we need to make is the commitment to partnering, to the commitment for which Gaius is praised in this letter, to to partner in finance, prayer, and cooperation with these missionaries and with local gospel-preaching churches. Now, we need to remember when we read this letter to Gaius that in that day and age, in the day and age of the early church, this was how the gospel spread. It was spread by missionaries, itinerant preachers, traveling Christian workers who were going out to new lands and reaching people who were far away. And friends, if they didn't do that, the gospel was not going to spread. But for them to accomplish that, they needed partnership. Those missionaries, those workers, those who went out needed the partnership of fellow Christians in order to accomplish this purpose of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because in those days, there was no Motel 6. There were no restaurants. There was very little public lodging. And so missionaries and Christian workers who were going to the very ends of the earth, carrying the gospel into new lands to reach the unreached, they were utterly dependent upon the hospitality of followers of Jesus Christ. Those who were willing to partner with them for the sake of the gospel. It's because of this that we read the Apostle Paul who commanded the church in Rome. He said in Romans 12:13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When he's speaking of the saints, he's specifically speaking of those who go, those missionaries, those workers who were going, contribute to their needs and show them hospitality. Why? So that you can partner with them for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian workers and missionaries passing through on their way, partner with them. Because in partnering with them, you are partnering with their message. You are partnering with their mission. You are participating with it. So join. Join with them in their message and in their mission. But it's not without dangers. It's not without hazards. Because in that day and age, there were many who were out traveling. There were many who were taking advantage of this time. And we actually find warnings in the previous letter. This is John's third letter. Well, in John's second letter, in Second John, which comes right before this one in, the, in your Bible, we actually find a warning against some of these itinerant preachers who were coming through. Because the need was to make sure that the message they brought was a true message. Because again, John warns in Second John 1-7, which is on the screen, Deceivers who've gone out into the world. He warns against those deceivers who've gone out into the world who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Because, you see, while workers had gone out into the world with the truth about who Jesus Christ was, deceivers had also gone out who didn't preach the truth about Christ. You know, there were unscrupulous persons who simply went to capitalize on Jesus' growing name. They simply went from town to town and got people to pay them to teach. They drew followers to themselves. They were seeking to make a quick buck by their preaching. Early, unscrupulous televangelists and charlatans. 
And John warns the church not to partner with them. Don't partner with them because in partnering with those type of preachers, you're participating in their message and you're participating in their deception. So he instructs the church in 2 John 1, 10-11, If anyone comes to you and does not bring the truth about Jesus, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So John warns in 2 John, be careful. Test those who come to you. And if their message is true, support them. But if their message is not, then don't support them. For in supporting them, you're partnering with them. You're participating in their message. So participate in the gospel work. Participate in gospel truth. Partner with those who bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. But not, do not participate with those and their deception. So share the ministry, but be careful with those, those with whom you partner. Because church, we are called to partner then and today. We are called to partner with their, those who bring the truth of Jesus Christ. And that is why John has written to Gaius. He's written to Gaius to praise him. And to praise him before the church, because these letters would have been read publicly, likely. Likely, this, this uh, praise of Gaius would have been heard by not just Gaius himself, but the whole church. He would have been an example. When they heard John praising Gaius, they would have said, wow, I guess that's what we're all supposed to be doing. John wrote to praise Gaius because of his passion for partnering with those who carried the true gospel of Jesus Christ to those who had not yet heard. And friends, that passion that Gaius had for partnering with others was most likely born of his relationship with John himself. You know, again, did you hear the intimate language that John used towards Gaius in this letter? Four times, four times in this short letter, he refers to Gaius as beloved. Gaius isn't just some work associate. Beloved. Beloved. And listen again to John's greeting in the first verse. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Whom I love in truth. Now, while that could simply mean whom I truly love, more likely John is saying, he's referring to the truth of the gospel. He's saying, Gaius, you and I are engaged together in the service of the truth of the gospel, and I love you as a partner together with me in that truth. And so John is writing not just to encourage Gaius and not just to instruct him as a beloved partner, but also to hold him up as an example to the whole church that they might see and hear and know of his passion for partnering and the church might join with him in partnering to support those who bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, who reach to the unreached, who go where the gospel has not yet gone. He praises and promotes Gaius' commitment to partnering with Christian workers and missionaries. And we should do the same. In verses 3 and 4, we see some had recently visited Gaius and then brought back to John a report about Gaius. And the report seems to be centered on this very issue of partnering. And we find a description of it in 5 through 8. John speaks about those persons who come to Gaius as strangers. And yet, what did Gaius do? 
It says he partnered with them. He showed them hospitality. In verse 6, when John writes that Gaius sent them forth on their journey in a manner worthy of God, it carries the idea of sending them off with exactly what they needed. Gaius supported them materially and financially. And John says, when you did that, when you partnered with them, Gaius, you weren't just partnering with them. You were partnering with the one who sent them. Verse 7, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. For the sake of the name. When you partner with workers who go out, you don't just partner with them. You partner with the one who has sent them. With the one in whose name they go. You are partnering, John says, with Jesus himself. But this shouldn't surprise us. I mean, isn't this actually what Jesus taught us? You might remember the parable of Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he gathers the sheep and the goats before him and he praises the sheep for their ministry to him. But the sheep are confused. And you might remember their response starting in verse 37. Then the righteous will answer Jesus saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. John simply affirms what Jesus has taught. When we partner with those who've gone out in the name of Jesus Christ, when we serve them, when we show them hospitality, when we welcome them, when we support them, we support and we serve Jesus Himself, His purposes, His mission, His kingdom. And church, this is what Gaius is praised for by John. His commitment to partnering with Christian workers and missionaries materially and financially. For in doing so, Gaius is partnering and serving Jesus Himself. And John makes clear in verse 8 his conclusion. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, the Greek word that's translated here as fellow workers is synergos, which is where we get our English word synergy. Now, for those of you that are in the business world, you, you probably are sick of hearing a word like synergy. You know, synergy is the idea that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We all know that one plus one plus one equals three. But synergy says one plus one plus one can equal five. That the sum of the total is greater than the individual parts. That a team of three can accomplish more together than a, than a group of three individuals might accomplish. You know, there's an old proverb I found that says the river... The river is powerful because many drops of water have learned the secret of synergy. The river is powerful because many drops of water have found the secret of synergy. I mean, think about it. By themselves, individual droplets of water falling in a rainstorm like we had last night, well, that might be powerful. But it's nowhere near as powerful as if those droplets synergistically work together as a raging river. The whole greater than the sum of its parts. 
And like these droplets, church, we should partner to accomplish things together for the sake of the truth. Because there's a synergy when we do. Together, church, we accomplish more than we ever could as a group of individuals. Church, we are more powerful together than we are as a group of individuals. And as such, John says, therefore, we ought to support people like these. And that was a word, not just for the church in Gaius' day. That is a word for the church in our day. And that is a word for our church. We ought to support people like these partnering with fellow gospel workers, with those missionaries and Christian workers who go to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because as we were discussing just last week, we are called to be ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. In Jesus' final command, the commission that he gave to his people, that he gave to his church, that he gave to you and to me, is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations. And the problem with that? I can't accomplish it alone. You can't accomplish it alone. Church, there are places to which I will never travel and places to which you will never go. But if all the nations are going to be reached, then those places need ambassadors of Christ through whom God might make his appeal be reconciled to God, just as we talked about last week. And the great news is that even if you and I personally cannot go to those nations, we can partner together. We can partner together with those who can and those who will go. And in doing so, church, when we partner not with them, we partner not only with them, but with the one who sends them. And truly, as we do unto the least of these, his brothers, don't we do it unto him? Gaius was praised for his partnering. But we find another person introduced to us in this letter, Diotrephus. He was condemned for refusing to do what Gaius did. Diotrephus was clearly a prominent leader in the church in which Gaius was involved, but he was prideful. He was rebellious against the authority of John and the apostles. And just as bad, John writes in verse 10, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. The very thing for which John has written to praise Gaius, he's written to condemn this man for his failure to do so, and not only his failure to do so, but his opposition to doing it. Church, do you see just how serious an issue this is that we're talking about today? John has written an entire letter whose purpose is to praise Gaius for his partnership with these missionaries and to publicly condemn those who refuse and oppose doing so. An entire letter dedicated to partnering and the importance of us partnering with those who go forth in the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Our partnership with missionaries and Christian workers who carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth is a big deal to God. 
And this is why we as a church family and as individuals partner in prayer and financial support to missionaries around the world. They're going where you and I may never go. They're ambassadors of Christ to people with whom I may never speak. They carry the truth of the gospel to lands where I may never go. And church, in our partnership with them, we participate in Christ's call, His commission to the church to go and make disciples of all nations. And as we offer missionaries and Christian workers shelter, clothing, food, water, we serve not only them, but you and I have the opportunity somehow to serve Jesus Himself. Sure, think about that. When we serve those who go in His name, you serve Jesus Himself. What greater act of worship is there? So we're committed. We are committed in prayer, in finance, in cooperation with missionaries around the world and gospel-centered churches locally. Because we know that by partnering church, we accomplish more together than we ever might accomplish as a bunch of individuals. Gaius was praised for his partnership. He was praised for his partnership. And friends, What would John write about us? One day, what will history write about Chestnut Street Baptist Church? What will history write about this generation right here of Chestnut Street Baptist Church? As we commit our lives together to partnering in missions, we face challenges as do every generation. You know, some of the unique challenges that we face today is that we have to confess and address the sometimes spotty history that Christian missions does have. You know, in July of this year, 2020, the Barna Group released a report entitled The Future of Missions. The Future of Missions. It was a report that was conducted in cooperation with the Southern Baptist Church's International Mission Board. And what it was, was it was doing just this, looking at what keeps younger Christians from wholeheartedly Engaging in global ministry. And first, there was good news in the report. Friends, the good news was that a strong majority of engaged Christians from every generation, between 71 and 74 percent of respondents, said that missionary work is very valuable. It's very valuable. It's exactly what the scripture affirms. However, while the majority believed that missionary work is very valuable, The survey also found that two in five young American Christians, those aged 18 to 34, I guess I no longer fit in that age bracket, young American Christians believe that Christian mission is tainted by its association with colonialism. You know, especially in this day and age, we have to recognize that the first major eras of Protestant mission expansion into Asia, Africa, Latin America, it was at the same time it paralleled the age of Western colonial dominance in the 18th and the 20th centuries. And so whether fairly or unfairly, missionaries have struggled to shake this charge of colonialist ever since. And as such, some have struggled with missions. They they struggle. Are we just imposing our beliefs uh, onto cultures and onto others? Are are missionaries guilty of creating dependency where they should have been advocating for self-agency? And the sad truth is at times we must confess that there have been times and actions where people and cultures have been treated wrongly in the name of Christ. However, friends, 
However, we must also confess that we recognize that not all missions has or currently does smack of colonialism. In fact, much good has been done around the world and is currently being done around the world in the name of Jesus Christ. The establishment of hospitals, clean drinking water, agricultural aid, education of children, abolition of slavery, the fight against sex trafficking. All of this has been and is being done by those around the world who, in the words of John, have gone out for the sake of the name. In the name of Jesus Christ, these things are being done all around the world. The spread of his gospel, glory to his name. And as John concludes, so we must conclude, therefore we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And church, will we be? Will we be such partners, such fellow workers? And we face the challenge because in today's day and age, we have to admit that, you know, we live in an increasingly secular American culture that's suspicious of and sometimes openly opposed to efforts to spread the faith at home or abroad. You know, the same Barna survey found that eight out of ten religiously unaffiliated American adults, so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not, not the ones with the black habit, nuns, they have no religious affiliation. Eight out of ten of these religiously unaffiliated consider efforts to share your faith with an aim towards converting others to be extreme. In other words, keep it in your hearts, keep it in your homes, Keep it in your church buildings, just keep it to yourself. And against the backdrop of that culture, a culture increasingly suspicious of and opposed to evangelism and missionary activity, it can make us fearful. It can make us fearful to go forth ourselves to our family, our friends, our neighborhood, to this community in the world. It can make us just as fearful to partner with those who do. But church, the gospel of Jesus Christ as the angels declared, this is good news of great joy that will be for all people. And while some may have been guilty in history of preaching the good news in a way that makes it sound like bad news, and while others might have been guilty of carrying the good news to other lands in a way that was demeaning to the inhabitants or dismissive of their culture, while at times the good news might have been misrepresented and mishandled, church, it is still good news. It is good news of great joy, and it's good news of great joy, not just for you and me, not just here in America, not just here in Maine, but to the very ends of the earth. This is good news of great joy for all people. Church, we need to remember, we need to rediscover, we need to recommit to the joy of the gospel and the joy of partnering for the sake of the gospel, because the gospel is here to bring us joy. Christ has come that we might have joy, the joy of salvation from sin and death, the joy of freedom from sin's guilt and its power over us, the joy of life abundant with Christ now and forevermore. This is good news of great joy meant for all peoples, and there is great joy in sharing this good news with others. There is great joy with partnering with others who do so, partnering with those who will go where we will never go, who speak to those with whom we may never speak, to be ambassadors of Christ to those with whom we will never have a chance to represent Him. We partner joyfully with them because of the joy of the gospel, because church, we desire to participate in and see others participate in this good news of great joy. The joy of Jesus Christ, of his gospel, and of life eternal. And friends, there's a beautiful picture 
a beautiful picture of joy that we find at the very end of the Bible. We come to the book of Revelation, the very final book, and we see this picture of worship and joy in Revelation 7, which we actually read together during our singing, but hear it again. Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. Did you hear that? Every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, look, every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages, and for that joy-filled vision to become a reality, we must go and we must partner with those who do. We must share in the gospel and partner, not as an obligation, but as an invitation, church. This is not an obligation, not a burden. This is an invitation to joy. To share in the joy of the gospel and seeing men, women, and children. Seeing the nations reached with this good news of great joy of Jesus Christ. And church, do you wish to share in this joy? How will you do so? Do you know the names of those with whom our church currently partners? Financially? Materially? Prayerfully? Will you as a fellow worker for the truth as Gaius was send others on their journey in a manner worthy of God, giving generously, praying fervently, partnering? You know, for many of our missionaries, because of their work in restricted areas, their information is not publicly listed on our website, but there is a list of countries in which they're ministering. And you can get personal and contact information on the mission board downstairs in our fellowship hall or from our deacons of outreach, Steve Crane and Patrick McCafferty. You can subscribe to the newsletters of our missionaries so that you can pray regularly for them. Some of you, I know, have already decided to give directly even more to some of our missionaries. And next time they visit, you can be part of extending hospitality to them to share in their ministry and the joy of the gospel. For as John pointed out, when we partner with them, church, we partner with the one in whose name they go. As you did it unto the least of these, my brothers, you did it as unto me. Church, how will you partner with them and with Him for the sake of the joy of the gospel? Let's pray together. We sang, Father, that for this cause I live and for this cause I die. I surrender all for the cause of Christ. All I once held dear, I will leave behind. Oh, my joy. Oh, my joy. Oh, my joy is this. The cause of Christ. May His gospel be our joy. May it spread be our joy. May partnering with those who bring it be our joy. For there is joy in Christ and in Him alone. In His name we pray. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's close together singing of our own commitment to shout.